Chapter 2 of Idiola. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Idiola by Sarah Grand. Chapter 2. Speaking to me of women one day, she said, Certainly, they are vainqueur de vainqueur de la terre in any sense they choose but the pity of it is that they did not choose to exercise their power to any great extent i agree with madame bernier if it were madame bernier who said l'ignorant et le fond soon de lui de voir le bouquel fond de lui pression le fond perdait le plus beau et le plus précieux de lui's avantage celui de tuitil but hundreds of other quotations will occur to you, written by thoughtful men and women in all ages, and all to the same effect. It is impossible to overestimate the restraining and refining influence as the companions of mothers and men, and almost equally impossible to make them realize their responsibility or care to use their strength. I would have every woman feel herself a power for good in the land, and if only half of them did, what a world of difference it would make to everybody's health and happiness. But women should, as a rule, be silent powers. There are, of course, occasions where they must speak, and all honor to those who do so when the need arises. But our influence is most felt when it is quietly persistent and unobtrusive. There is no social reform that we might not accomplish if we agreed among ourselves to do it, and then worked each of us using her influence to that end in her own family, and among her friends only. I once induced some ladies to try a little experiment to prove this. At that time the gentlemen of our respective families were all wearing a certain kind of necktie. We agreed to banish the necktie, and in a month it had disappeared, and not one of those gentlemen was ever able to tell us why he had given it up. We don't deserve much credit for our ingenuity, though, she added lightly. Men are so easily managed. All you have to do is feed them and flatter them. I think that hardly fair, I commented. What? The feeding and flattering? No, the conspiracy. Well, that occurred to me, too, afterwards, when it was too late to do anything but repent. At that time, I own, I thought of nothing but the success of the experiment as an example and proof of our willpower. You considered one side of the subject only, as per usual, when you were eager and interested, I softly insinuated. She frowned at me thoughtfully, then, after a pause, she resumed. Ah, yes, you may be sure there is a great deal of good motive power in women but most of it is lost for want of knowledge and means to apply it. It works like the sails of a windmill not attached to the machinery, which roll round and round with incredible velocity and every evidence of strength, but serve no better purpose than to show which way the wind blows. The question of the position of women in our own day occupied her a great deal. The women of my time, she said to me once, are in an unsettled state. It may be a state of transition. 
much that made life worth having has lost its charm for them. The old interests fall upon them. Occupations that used to be the great business of their lives are now thought trivial, and are left to children and to servants. Principles accepted since the beginning of time have been called in question. Weariness and distrust have taken the place of peace and content, and doubt and dissatisfaction are the order of the day. Women want something. They are determined to have it too, and doubtless they would get it if only they knew what it is that they want. They are struggling to arrive at something, but opinions differ widely as to what that something ought to be. And the result is that they have divided themselves into three classes. Not exactly distinct, they dovetail into each other so nicely that it is hard to say where the influence of one set ends and the other begins. There are, first of all, the women who in their struggles for political power have done so much to win sexes. They have tried to force themselves into unnatural positions and the consequence has been about as pleasing and edifying as an attempt to make new thing. They clamor for change, mistaking change for progress. But don't let the puzzling dovetail confuse you. The people I speak of are not those who have so nobly devoted themselves to the removal of the wrongs of women, though they work together. But the object of all this class is good. They wish to raise us, and what they want, for the most part, is a little more common sense, as shown in their system of education, for instance, which cultivates the intellectual at the expense of the physical powers, girls being crammed as boys, to their great land and hindrance also, are crammed, just when nature wants all their strength to assist their growth. The result of which becomes periodically apparent when a number of amiable young ladies are let loose on society without hair or teeth. But the thing they clamor for most is equality. There is a great deal to be said in favor of placing the sexes on equal footing. And if social conventions are stronger and more admirable than natural instincts, and doubtless they are, the thing should be done. But the innate perversity of women make it difficult. For I know this, that whatever the position of a true woman, and however much she may clamor for equality with men in general, the man she herself loves in particular will always be her master. But such ridicule as this party has brought upon itself would not have mattered so much had nothing worse come of it. Unfortunately, there seems to be no neutral ground for us women. We either do good or harm, and I hold that first class responsible for the existence of those people who clamor for change of any kind, regardless of the consequences. Their ideas, shorn of all good intention, have resulted in the production of a new creature, and have made it possible for women who have the faults of both sexes and the virtues of neither to mix in society. The bad work done by the influence of this second class is only too apparent. It is to them that we owe the fact that there is less refinement, less courtesy, less of the really good breeding which shows itself in kindness and consideration for others. And heaven help us, even less modesty among us now than there was some years ago. 
these are the women too who spend their time and talents on the production of cleverly written books of the most corrupt tendency their works are a special feature of the age and are doubly dangerous because they have the art of making the worst ideas attractive by presenting them in forms too refined and beautiful to shock even the most delicate besides these two classes there is the third which is more difficult to define it is the one on which our hope rests the women who belong to it are dissatisfied like the others but they are less decided and therefore their dissatisfaction takes no positive shape they also want something and go this way and that as if in search of it but they are not really trying for anything in particular they do good and evil indiscriminately and for the same motive they find distraction in doing something anything but the desire to do good is latent in all of them show them the way and it will make itself apparent but what is the reason of all this dissatisfaction i asked why don't you go to your husbands and brothers to be set right as of old ah when you ask me that you get to the first cause of the trouble she answered the truth is that we have lost faith in our men they claim some superiority for themselves but we find none the age requires people to practice what they preach and yet expects us to be guided by the counsels of those whose own lives we know have rendered them contemptible they are not fit to guide us and we are not fit to go alone i suppose we shall come to an understanding eventually either they must be raised or we must be lowered it is for the death of manliness we women mourn we marry and find we have taken upon ourselves misery and lifelong widowhood of the mind and moral nature do you wonder that some of us ask why should we keep ourselves pure if impurity is to be our bad fellow you make us breathe corruption and wonder that we lose our health but why do you talk of the death of manliness men have as much courage now as they have ever had oh of course mere animal courage there is plenty of that but that is nothing a cat will fight for her kittens it is moral courage that makes a man and where do you find it now are men self-denying are they scrupulous to a shadow of the truth are they disinterested how many gentlemen have you met in the course of your life i know about half a dozen what do you call a gentleman then i asked in surprise what makes a man one why truth and affection of course she answered the one is the most ennobling and the other the most refining quality as a child i used to think ladies and gentlemen never told stories it was only the common people who were dishonourable and that was what made them common hellas one lives and learns i don't think the world is worse than it ever was i said dryly not worse when we know so much better she answered with scorn not worse when we have learned to see so clearly and most of us acknowledge that it is our will which thus enchains us to permitted ill 
It is nearly two thousand years since Christianity began its work, and it is still unaccomplished. Do you know, I sometimes think that all the stock of virtue and teaching of religion is a kind of practical joke, gravely kept up to find a church parade of respectability for states, a profession for hundreds, and a means of influencing men by making a tender point in their nervous system to be touched, as with a rod, when necessary, a rod that is held over them, always in terrorum. We all talk about morality, but try some measure of reform, and you will find that every man sees the necessity of it for his neighbor only. Goodness is happiness, and sin is disease. The truism is as old as the hills, and as evident, but if men were in earnest, do you suppose they would go on forever choosing sin and its ghastly companions as they do? Do you know, there are moments when I think that even the reverence for the purity of women is a sham, for why do they keep us pure? Is it not to make each morsel more delicious for themselves? That sense and sentiment may be satisfied together, and their own pleasure may be more complete? Individuals may be in earnest, but the great bulk of mankind is a hypocrite. When the history of this age is written, moral cowardice and self-indulgence will be found to have been the most striking characteristics of people. There is no truth to be found in the inward parts. But Ideala did not often adopt this tone, and she herself would check other people who were preparing to assume it. She had a favorite quotation, adroitly mangled to suit such occasions. When we begin to inculcate morality as a science, we must discard moralizing as a method, she declared. She would also beg us to stop the Assyria. It is the mortal malady of all well-beloved measures she said, and it spreads to an epidemic if the infected ones are not suppressed at once to prevent contagion. But although she spoke so positively when taken out of herself by the interest and importance of a subject, she had no very high opinion of her own judgment and power to decide. A little more self-esteem would have been good for her. She was too diffident. I have not come across people on whose knowledge I could rely she told me. I have been obliged to study alone, and to form my opinions for myself out of such scraps of information as I have had the capacity to acquire from reading and observation. I am, therefore, always prepared to find myself mistaken, even when I am surest about a thing. For what am I? An infant crying in the night, an infant crying for the light, and with no language but a cry. In practice, too, she frequently, albeit unconsciously, diverged from her theories to some considerable extent, as on one occasion, when after taking long and earnestly of the sin of selfishness, she absently picked up a paper I had just cut with intent to enjoy myself, took it away with her to the drawing-room, and sat on it for the rest of the morning, as I afterwards heard. End of chapter 2